You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have a spoiler-filled conversation about the season finale of Ms. Marvel. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me! All right, Brad. So Peter is uh, is away. I think he's on an ordinary adventures trip that he mentioned last week. So it's it's you and me again, uh, bringing it home for Ms. Marvel Season 1, uh, Episode 6, No Normal. And uh, I guess before we get into the reactions and the breakdown and everything, I just wanted to say I was not on last week's episode. You and Peter talked about that one. I loved episode five. I, I've been on a real roller coaster with the show. Like I thought it started wonderfully and then took a dip. And then episode five was fantastic. And we'll get to what I thought about episode six. But anyway, I loved episode five. And we had a, one piece of feedback from that. Tim from uh, Pennsylvania wrote in and asked, he said, uh, what was the significance of Hassan's bum leg and the new cane that Aisha gave him? There didn't seem to be a reason for that to be in the story unless it will come back later in some way. Uh, obviously, those characters did not make an appearance in in this uh, final episode. I don't think there was anything super significant about that. I, I think it was just sort of like character development stuff. It sort of seemed like uh, Hassan was like, uh, there was that one shot of him like uh, addressing the village and sort of... Um, you know, serving as like a, a figure in the community. And, and um, so maybe he had some sort of past uh, injury. Maybe it was a thing that happened at birth. I'm not really sure. Uh, I guess it was just building out that character. And and I think the, the cane from Aisha was just sort of a, 
a way to represent um, their evolving relationship, right? Like, did you get have any read on that? Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I thought, too. It's just a nice way to show that they were becoming closer and that she was, like, starting to care about him and that they were, you know, uh, evolving. Okay, cool. All right, so uh, that's the feedback. And then let's get into brief reactions about this episode. What did you think about uh, episode six, new, uh, No Normal? Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, um, I was, uh, not as into episode five as, uh, you were, but I did, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. I just felt like it was a little bit of a turn for the show that I had mostly loved up to that point. But, uh, I think back to form here, um, I think some, some things happen rather quickly for, you know, uh, a finale. And I wish there was maybe a little bit more time to, to spend with, with what happens here. But I think all in all, based on like the how the story evolved and how things get wrapped up to lead into something bigger uh, with the Marvels. I think that this was a pretty good way to give uh, Kamala a proper arc for what is hopefully the first season of a show that will continue on top of her appearing in the Marvels and, you know, gave us a lot to chew on as far as like her origin, where, where she's going, who she is. And I I think, yeah, it, it retained so much of the, uh, identity that the show started off with by being this John Hughes superhero story that was um, really significantly infused with um, with Pakistani culture um, mm-hmm. and all you know the stuff that really made Kamala's story stand out from a lot of the other superheroes in the MCU, uh, both on the big screen and in their TV shows. So uh, the the resolution here was was satisfying. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, the I think the the action packed finale felt a little bit clumsy here and there mm-hmm. um like they were like like just the way they brought in certain characters and how certain things unfolded um but and some of that too i think comes from just like unanswered questions that they're leaving open for for future storylines uh but overall uh thought it was a good finale think it's a pretty damn good series and uh yeah i'm, I'm, I'm all in for ms marvel Okay. Well, you said a lot of uh, a lot of what I was going to say there, so I, I echo many of those thoughts. I think um, uh, I think even with my reservations about the show, it's pretty high up there on the list of Marvel Studios Disney Plus shows, which I guess is sort of damning with faint praise because I haven't really loved a lot of these. But this is definitely upper tier, and I, I think this finale episode does a good job of um, bringing it back to that sort of John Hughes esque uh, vibe that we got in the first couple episodes. And, and it's not like I wanted the entire show to be that because I actually really liked the, um, if you want to call it a diversion or whatever, that, that sort of like sidestep over into Pakistan because of, of how well it uh, grappled with that sort of, um, cultural specificity that we've talked about in the previous episode. So I really in, ended up enjoying like the the uh, macro of it, even though I have a lot of issues with the micro. So yeah. Um, okay, let's get into the breakdown. So did you notice at the beginning of the episode, there was a, a message that popped up on the screen that said there are certain scenes in this fictional series that some viewers may find upsetting. Yeah, I did. And and that's so that's the, the message that they put before Obi-Wan back when there had just been uh, a school shooting, and then the series opened up with a bunch of younglings being killed during the assault on the Jedi Temple, and that kind of made sense. And here, uh, I was curious about it, and then I, and I kind of understand it because the ending does deal with uh, police and like SWAT teams and uh, Department of Damage Control arriving and attacking kids in a school, which maybe is sensitive right now because of the whole Uvalde situation and how that, that worked out. But it did feel like a little bit of a stretch to like need to put that there here. Yeah. I almost, um, 
the the uh the language that they use here um it, it almost feels aggressive to me like there are certain scenes in this fictional series you fucking morons <laughs> that some viewers <laughs> may find upsetting like i i felt like there were air quotes around a lot of that stuff and like the, seriously there are certain scenes in this fictional series that some viewers may find upsetting. It's such a bland statement. Yeah, I mean, you, might, you might as well put it in front of every show because, like, every yeah. show is going to have something that some viewers, you know, might yeah. find like that. So Exactly. So I just thought it was really weird. Um, and I, I, w- I hope that they stop doing this because uh, it's so bland that there's there's just no need for it. So, okay, let's get into the actual episode. Um, uh, Kamala tells her family about... That she is the the light girl, and the family, of course, already knows. Um, it, her mom uh, presents her with this costume, and you know we've had some discussions in Slack about exactly like what is the nature of this costume, where exactly did it come from, and I think last week on the podcast, Brad, you um, uh, predicted that her mom would be the one to sort of make this costume, and then later in the episode, Nakia says something about. Um, you know, like the uh, nice costumes that stitching from, you know, Pakistani stitching or something like that. Um, so what did you think about this, this scene early on in the episode where the mom uh, gives her this costume? Yeah. I, I love that her mom is, is all in now on her being uh, this superhero and fully supportive of her and just in giving her this uh, costume. I will say that I was a little bit confused as to whether or not she actually did make it because it was, it was specifically Nikia's comment that was like Pakistani stitching that made me feel like it was just, made in Pakistan by, like, the craftsmen who, you know, put together a lot of the other gorgeous uh, wardrobes and stuff that we saw when they were in Karachi. Uh, but at the same time, like, it's, it feels like her mom could have easily made that in Pakistan before they came back and whatnot. Uh, she does have it in one of those sweet boxes that her, her mother had kept for her at the house in Karachi because she knew they were her favorites. So uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's likely that maybe she made it herself. Um, but, yeah, I, I was a little bit confused with that. I wish they would have been a little bit more definitive uh, as far as, like, saying, oh, she really did make this for Kamala, especially since, you know, she made those uh, costumes for Avengers Con uh, mm-hmm. er- earlier in the series. But like, I think it's a safe enough assumption to make, maybe they just didn't feel like they needed to like really lay it out for you. Yeah. And I think Ben Silverio pointed out in our, um, in our Slack channel that like the, the uh, obviously the uh, symbol on Kamala's chest um, is similar to that broken, what was it? A, a earring or a necklace or something that, yeah. that her mom like held up in the previous episode. So um, I think that connection is, is fairly clear there. So that's good. Um, so Kamala dons this new costume. She's running across the city sky. I thought this was a really cool sequence and because specifically it was a really wise choice to see her reflection in the, the um, windows of, of buildings and to focus on her feet stepping on these pads of light because that sort of weightless, goofy cgi look that happens when you zoom out and show a fully cg rendered character uh in situations like this was not quite as obvious because of the way that they chose to to shoot this um yeah and yeah i think i think the budget definitely does play into it rather than seeing like a fully cg rendered version uh of amon villani and potentially it looking uh as bad as she hulk does in the trailers whoops um (laughs) but i also think that it was a nice touch too because it kind of delayed uh giving her like a hero shot and seeing her in her full um wardrobe until later you know and so Mm -hmm. like it's almost like those scenes in uh batman movies when you see people like looking out their window up at the bat signal or like uh even in the most recent you know the batman looking into darkness and like thinking batman is there or something like that and like everyone's just like looking up and seeing this you know hero uh streaking across the sky and it's just yeah it's a cool moment for her 
Yeah, and, and a lot of those um, shots are from the ground looking up, so you sort of see, yeah. um, you know, see it from ground perspective, which is cool too. So uh, Bruno and uh, Cameron are on the run after the explosion at the end of the, the previous episode, and actually, this episode technically sort of kind of starts with them. Um, you know, there, there's that sequence where they get on the uh, the subway, and and uh, Cameron has his powers and like they they like get they run into the back of some bully or something who's trying to like shove them and like he's just they're running from damage control on the subway and then they just cut away from that and it's sort of like why was this even here do do we really need this little moment with these two because it feels like half this episode is them running around with you know his arm slung over bruno's shoulder or something but anyway these two are, are on the run and they go to the mosque and uh basically uh Nakia is like, what are you guys doing here? This is terrible. Like, you know, of course the Department of Damage Control has this place under surveillance and and is going to be coming in here any minute. So damage control rolls in and uh they sort of get slipped out of the of a back uh, exit. And um the Sheik, I think, says something like, um, just because someone treats you as their enemy doesn't give you the right to treat them as yours. I was wondering if that line uh jumped out to you in any way, Brad, because it seems like one of those one of those lines that we've talked about in these Marvel shows where like everything sort of comes to a stop and they, the writers like want you as an audience member to uh, pause almost and like take stock of this important line that has like thematic resonance for, for what they're doing in the episode. Yeah. I think, and I think these moments are uh, in this series have been particularly great and really bring, uh, you know, emotional resonance to it. And uh, also, also bring like a, a universal flair to it because like, even though this is based on, you know, a, a family that is from Pakistan and has a, a variety of different cultural uh, perspectives and traditions. Like there, there's still this universal aspect to, you know, these kind of thematic moments that really hit home for everybody. Um, so they scurry out of uh, this back alley where they meet up with Kamala and she gets that hero shot that you were talking about. Uh, Kamala and Bruno embrace. She was really worried about him because, uh, you know, she couldn't get in touch with him earlier. And then Cameron sort of like, explodes with energy it's it's clear that he's not able to control what's going on with these new powers that he has um i guess there's not really much to talk about in this part of the episode it's a lot of like uh just moving pieces around on the chessboard until they get to the school which happens pretty shortly so uh, if you have anything to mention here brad i'm just going to sort of like speed through this part until we get to you know a, a bigger set piece or whatever but um, Kamala calls Kareem and asks for help getting Cameron out of the country. And then they head to the high school, which is going to be, you know, the only place that, uh, is empty on a Saturday. And, uh, Kamala apologizes to Nakia. Um, you know, it's good to see that, uh, relationship sort of mended and repaired after being slightly fractured over the course of the past few episodes when, when Kamala like didn't tell her the secret, but you know, it, it's sort of like you expect that these two are close enough friends that it wasn't going to be like a, a permanent rift or anything like that. Um, and then Zoe shows up, this this character who is sort of like this mean girl uh, who we've only seen briefly in the series, really. Um, and she's just sort of like uh, crashes the party almost in this this uh, high school like um, barricade siege sort of situation that's happening. Uh, what did you make of, um, I guess, Zoe's uh, appearance here, Zoe's involvement, the way that she sort of like is instantly almost welcomed by this group and like nobody really says much to her? There's there's one scene a little bit later on where Nakia is like, so you didn't tell anybody, huh? And she's like, nope, uh, Kamala can do whatever she wants. So I don't know what she make of that. <laughs> yeah, this to me was one of like the clumsiest moments of the finale of the entire series. It, it feels like they really kind of shoehorned her in there 
because uh, maybe I don't know if they felt like they needed an extra person or if they forgot that they should maybe resolve this part of the storyline for for Zoe as a character since it was kind of important for her to be there in the beginning. Um, but yeah, it just it felt very disjointed and just like a, a really tacked on element of this entire sequence. And like, because uh, like even when uh, you know you have Kamala's brother comes in to to help them, that feels like a funny thing. And there's like an explanation as to why suddenly later he's like, "Yeah, I know how to sneak into the school too." It's like I I, I went to the school, so mm-hmm. uh, so that that makes a little bit more sense. But yeah, the the, the Zoe thing, I was just like, oh, "This is weird, guys." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, Bruno realizes that the cops and the Department of Damage Control. Uh, have followed them, I guess, or, or somehow know that they're going to be at the high school. So they, they, they're already pulling up outside. And then there's this big breaking down the plan sort of sequence. And I get that it's bringing back this visual aesthetic that they explored in the early episodes with the plan to go to AvengerCon. And it sort of incorporates uh, Kamala's love of, um, of art and, and you know drawing and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I would not have had any qualms about this if the episode hadn't established that the cops are already there. But there's this long sequence where they're like, all right, let's figure out, you know, step one, it's going to be this. And like Bruno is dancing around with a skeleton in the background at one point and i'm like they're already here like you, you, there's no sense of urgency in putting this plan together you know th- they could burst in at any second and everyone's like okay let's come up with a plan and in the most like you know elaborate sort of convoluted way uh as if we have all day to do this um so i was i was sort of thrown off by that did that matter to you at all brad or did you not even think about that yeah that was definitely weird but funnily enough uh since we talked about that opening uh disclaimer on this episode it almost makes more sense in today's context of things because maybe they're just not worried about the cops coming in because they know the cops aren't going to do jack shit because they're (laughs) scared of coming into the school Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's some uh, a rough real life pal- parallel right there. Yeah, um, so certainly and- not intentional, but that went that that went through my mind. And uh, but yes, in in general, uh, w- without you know taking that context into consideration, it is a very strange thing that there seems to be a lack of urgency in them figuring out what to do. Yeah, and I you know I actually kind of like well we'll get to that in a second. So um, Agent Deaver, who is like the essentially the the agent on the ground who is sort of in charge of. Uh, this this um, branch, I guess, of the Department of, of Damage Control. She is told not to engage, but she defies her orders and does it anyway. And I think in I don't know. May, this is one of the interest, uh, one of the instances rather where um, we just wrote, we just published an article in Slash Film about how uh, Ms. Marvel is actually one of the few MCU. Uh, Disney Plus shows to justify being a show instead of being a movie. Um, and one of the the things in this article is uh, that uh, Raphael wrote is, is basically talking about like, you know, if this was a movie, there would be no way that the show would have been able to do all the stuff that it does and cover all the ground that it does as effectively and like handle all of the, you know, flashbacks to partition and like all of these um, things that sort of make this show special. There's no way that it would have been able to do that in a movie. And uh, this is one of those instances where like it almost needed a little bit more time because this agent deeper character is so paper thin and basically like a non entity that the, the reason that she defies her orders is completely lost on me. Like, is it because she truly thinks that it's the right thing to do? Like we've seen sometimes with, you know, uh, villains or quote unquote villains in certain uh, pop culture stories where like, you know, they um, they do the wrong thing because they're like uh, driven by their own personal beliefs and ideology or whatever. Like if that's the case, we got none of that because this character has just been, you know, basically like uh, 
I don't know, like an angry figure who just storms into places and barks orders and doesn't actually have any humanity behind her. Yeah, this um, was this was a very yeah. strange choice because like it's, uh, you know, me and Peter both were thinking that they were going to have some kind of reveal with the Department of Damage Control being scrolls or something like that. And I was because of her, her decisions, not really having a foundation as to like why she's doing it. I was expecting some kind of credit scene that had her reporting to some kind of, uh, you know, alternate higher up who was like trying to get her to do something uh, villainous, you know, yeah. part part of a larger plan or something like that, and maybe there is something that is in store for that for like a second season, but they just felt the need not to to hint at it or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was very strange to not see damage control, be, you know, uh, have a more significant role other than just being, you know, this law enforcement arm, and then having this rogue agent thinking that maybe she was doing what she needed to do against orders. Yeah, just just yeah, I don't know, like I, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if it was just like a purely political move on her part where she thought like maybe she's sick of taking orders from this guy back at HQ. So maybe if she like goes forward with it and the mission is a success, she could like oust him and take his position or something. But again, like none of that is actually in the show. Yeah. It's just we're left to uh, to just question what's going on. Especially and especially since they go out of their way to make it that it's not meant to be this like subtext thing of her pursuing them uh, with some kind of like blindly patriotic angle too because uh in earlier uh they have that thing where she's talking to her like uh second in command maybe i guess you could say and she says you know um uh says something about like these people and he's, he's like he's like what do you mean by these people and, the, and she's like superheroes you know like i'm not talking about you know people from the middle east or muslim oh or i think she like says that. like young people oh like, yeah well, that's what it was yeah yeah. yeah 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 and so uh and yeah so they, they made it clear that it wasn't like a you know a racially motivated kind of thing mm-hmm. so i just i just don't even know what, what she's doing <laughs> Yeah, yeah, weird stuff there. Um, so Zoe uses her uh, her TikTok fame to get a bunch of civilians to show up at the school. And this is what you're talking about in sort of like the the uh, rushed sort of um, really bizarre nature of that character appearing. It really felt like they introduced the fact early on in the series that Zoe has a bunch of TikTok followers and she's like a social media influencer. So they realized that they could use her as a... Um, you know, almost like a plot device or something later, you know, in this big action scene or whatever. And that's the only reason that that character's there. It really just feels like you can see the seams in terms of why she was maneuvered onto the chessboard in this way. Yeah. Um, because they needed her to drum up support and, and bring these civilians out to the school. So um, they do this whole like dressing up in the same outfit routine, sort of like uh, the Thomas Crown affair or something like that to, to confuse these agents who, who burst into the school and characters are like running through hallways like it's an episode of scooby-doo and there's like fire extinguishers going off it's like a whole thing um i actually really liked the psycho uh illusion that the um skeleton slicing the balloon and kicking off that sort of mad scientist explosion of goo that yeah. the room um i thought that was a really cool visual but it, it doesn't feel like it actually really did anything to stop or hinder the bad guys in a meaningful way like you see that a couple of these agents are affected by it but i guess the problem is there are so many agents that taking out three or four of them with this stuff didn't feel like a big enough win for our characters it was just kind of like a a thing that happens in this sequence so uh what did you think about this whole like um you know execution of the plan that they came up with here uh you know it was it, it works in the way that like um the the end of It Follows works, you know, a bunch of high school kids trying to come up with a way to, like, uh, stay alive, not not get in trouble, not get caught, and that kind of thing, and they do it in a way where, like, they're they're scheming and using whatever resources they have at their disposal. This, this um, 
you know, it felt like a uh, a throwback to almost like, you know, 80s movies, something like that, like a, a Toy Soldiers or um, uh, Masterminds or something, something like that, <laughs> you know, uh, or they're, they're just uh, using anything that in their disposal to try and just, you know, fight against the, the law enforcement. Yeah, there's the the um, softball uh, gag where they, you know, a bunch of them are, are standing there and just like shooting softballs at these guys, but that that doesn't work, and they immediately get taken down. And in that, I thought was like, you know, pretty realistic. Like uh, it felt like something that you would cook up at the last second on a on a blackboard and just like draw up as a way to uh, to distract and then have it instantly not work, and they just sort of get um, you know arrested or whatever yeah. thrown into the back of a van. Like when they like when the Ewoks lay those ropes down in Endor to <laughs> to trip the ATSC and just drags them along. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, the Ewoks of this episode, yeah. Um, so Kamala and Cameron are you know they they are on the run sort of throughout the school. They they um, make their way into a room and they're. Uh, hiding from these agents, they hold hands at one point, which glow with their respective powers, and they almost kiss, and Bruno interrupts to tell them to get out of there. Uh, this moment was a little weird for me because, um, I don't know, we just haven't seen Cameron in that way in in a little while, and like the past few episodes have, have dealt more with um, Kamala almost like being introduced to multiple... Um, I don't know. Love interest sounds wrong, but like potential love interest and like this, the show never really, um, it's very like PG rated, right. All the way through. And they never really like, uh, imply that there's like a significant relationship, romantic relationship to be had in this show. Um, but they, they sort of kind of hint at it a, a couple, uh, different times in, in recent episodes with different characters for Kamala. And then, um, I don't know, it, it just felt like, Oh, uh, we're in the middle of this scene and like now, now we're back to this dynamic with Cameron. And I guess it's a little weirder considering what happens after this moment with that character and sort of how their dynamic unravels as the episode goes on. But um, I don't know, in that initial moment, Brad, when they almost kissed there, did, did that seem like a, a um, genuine moment to you? Like, like something that made sense for what we've seen so far? You know, I mean, yes, yes and no. Like, it, it makes sense in the idea of, like, you see this all the time in, in movies and shows like this. And I think you, I guess you have to think about how time has passed, like, within this series and how much time there's been since they last saw each other and what happened. Because he did try to help her and, you know, basically uh, helped save her. And then she left and w- went to Karachi and uh, then had to deal with his mother. So, like, there's there's been a relatively, I don't know, short amount of time since they last saw each other to where like maybe those sparks are still there. Um, you know, there's, there's no reason for her to have, uh, lost them. And, you know, obviously he had cared for her in some capacity since he defied, uh, his mother in order to save her. So yeah, yeah, I think it may be a little bit forced, but it's not out of the realm. You know, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, so they're about to escape out of a bathroom window and Cameron is trying to learn what happened to his mother at the end of the previous episode. And he's, uh, I guess it's just one agent actually like bursts in through the window and Cameron almost kills this guy. Like Kamala has to use her powers to save this, this sort of random agent here. And then Kamala tells Cameron that his mom is dead and, and she again has to fight him off before he kills a bunch of these agents. Um, I guess this stuff is like, you know, it's supposed to be a combination of like him learning really terrible news and then not really being able to control his powers in a, in a meaningful way yet. And like, you know, the, the fact that these powers could potentially be, um, 
I guess corrupting is like maybe a little bit too strong of a term, but influencing his decisions or something in some way, like, uh, you know, this, from what we've seen so far, this didn't look like a guy who was like ready to just like straight up murder people, but he did sort of seem that way several times throughout this episode. So what did you think about, um, I guess, Cameron, like more broadly speaking, Brad, in this episode? So this was one thing that I was a little bit worried about because it felt like it was a little bit too much of a last minute thing to have him learn about his mom dying, potentially blame Kamala, be mad enough that he turns against her and becomes a villain. And I feel like the way that they handled it was was done well enough that it didn't feel like it rubbed me the wrong way because he doesn't take an, necessarily a full-on villain turn. He's just, like, so filled with such, you know, anger and, and sadness that, like, he can't help but lash out, you know? And uh, I like that there is, you know, th- there's the redemption for him here still, too, that, that, that show that it's not just a bad guy turn where all of a sudden he's just a straight-up villain that Kamala has to deal with, and that there's still... Uh, this sense of community between them, you know, despite what uh, what has happened. So I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it worked uh, fairly well. Maybe not my favorite part, but you know, it it got the job done. Yeah. Uh, so he bursts out of the front doors, and all these agents have their weapons trained on him, and they actually decide to fire. Which, uh, again, you know, talking about like a, a look into the real world, that is actually a pretty realistic thing that would that would actually happen with a like a non-white person <laughs> in a in a situation like that. Really. Uh, Awful that we even have to think about that. But um, Kamala jumps out to save him and the two basically get knocked down with some sort of big uh, pulse blast. And she says the word embiggen and takes her almost to her like final hero form. This this version of the this aesthetic, this look of this character that we are more familiar with from the comics. Um, what did you think about uh, this sort of outdoor action sequence here outside of the, the high school, Brad? Uh, done pretty well, you know, for a small scale action sequence. And it was also cool that uh, the even though Kamala's powers have changed from the comics so that she's not just stretchy and able to manipulate her body anymore, that it's her creating these like crystalline structures that basically do the same thing. It was cool for them to take the the ambiguous, uh, you know, line and then also basically give her the same powers in a different way and uh, give us the Ms. Marvel that we've seen in, in the comics. So, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, like, did she say Embiggen at any other point in this series? I don't remember. Maybe she did, like, when she was first uh, in her training or something. And, or, and and I guess for people who maybe haven't read the comics, is that, like, have you read enough of the Ms. Marvel comics or, or uh, glanced at them to know if that is, like, a catchphrase word of hers or something? Or or did that really just, like, come out of nowhere? Or, like, what's the deal there? So it's, uh, I haven't read um, a bunch of the Ms. Marvel comics. A lot of my stuff just comes from, like, tangential reading about Ms. Marvel and stuff like that, just doing research for, for Slash Film uh, and whatnot. And so it's uh, it becomes kind of her catchphrase, though. I do know that much. Um, and so it's, it's something that was definitely a nod to the comics. Okay. So she uh, destroys the vehicle that has this big pulse gun in the back. And when she checks on a couple of the agents who are in the car to ask if they're okay, one of them says, yes, Miss Nightlight, which is just stupid, Brad. It's just stupid. It's dumb. <laughs> like, this doesn't need to be in there. Yeah. It's just underlining, again, how much she hates this uh, this sort of, what is it called? Like a sobriquet or something? Like the, the um, this nickname that, that has been bestowed up upon her. And like, we know, you've said... 20 times in the series that you don't like the name Nightlight. We didn't need this this moment here. Um, Kamala saves the crowd from getting flattened by this Jeep that Cameron hurls at Agent Deaver. Um, it's this big sort of hero moment. And then Cameron really starts freaking out and his powers are 
you know, pulsing and emanating outward and, and Kamala ends up having to use her own powers to encase the two of them and this sort of shell so they can have this one-on-one chat. And that, that sort of gets back to what you're talking about before with like his redemption. And, you know, it goes from villain back to sympathetic character and really the blink of an eye as the music swells. And I, I kind of thought that happened too fast. Like I, I didn't think it was necessarily earned that, that shift from him being like, they're never going to accept you to like her just being like, but your mom. And then him being like, you're right. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know, like all, a lot of it just felt a little, uh, a little rushed to me, which is unfortunate because I feel like the show um, when it, it has the time to, uh, to spread out a little bit um, has, has shown that it can do things really, really well and super effectively. So um, I just felt like this whole thing, they had a lot of ground to cover in this uh, finale. And I was, I was sort of sad to see them have to sort of race through a couple of these beats a little bit faster than I personally would have liked. But um you know, he says, look at everything I've done. What am I supposed to do now? How can I be normal? And she says, there is no normal, uh, hinting that they're or sort of uh, referencing the the title of this episode. Uh, there's just us and what we do with what we've been given. So uh, another, you know, decent bit of dialogue there. She, she lets him escape. The protective shield goes down. And then all the civilians just saunter straight past the cops and form this barrier around Kamala, Brad. They're, they're clearly going for like a Spider-Man 2 moment, a big like, to get her, you're going to have to go through us. Look how, <laughs> how tough this city is and how we're rallying, rallying around this hero, you know, kind of kind of moment. Uh, and again, I'm not opposed to that. And it can definitely work if it's done right. But the fact that these people can just like walk into the middle of this action scene with zero pushback from damage control who are standing there with weapons uh, really took me out of the story again. And I, I don't know, again, if, am I just like being too nitpicky here? Or did you notice this as well? What did you think about that? Yeah, it didn't uh, take me out of the story necessarily. I did like, you know, clock it as being something that didn't entirely make logistical sense because in those situations, like, you have barriers set up and everything. Like, you're not going to let that happen with people, you know. Um, but I suppose, I mean, if it's a big enough crowd and, like, it's, you know, it's tough to really do anything about because you don't want to, like, shoot innocent civilians, then, you know, maybe that's that's where it, it starts to make sense. But, it, yeah, it did feel like they probably could have handled that a little bit better logistically. Yeah. And then like this moment where the, the cops like turn in unison to defy damage control. I was just like, man, they're really dropping the ball here. Like it's just moment after moment where I'm kind of like, ah, these decisions are just not working for me at all. And maybe it works for, I don't know. Like, what did you think about that? Did you notice that moment where there's that, like this line of cops and they all like spin around at the same time and they're like, holding the line for Kamala Khan. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it felt, it felt strange. It, it definitely felt strange. I wish there was a way that they could have incorporated, like having uh, the rest of like those people there and them being the ones to kind of like protect, you know, Kamala. I feel like that would have made like a stronger sense of, uh, you know, community. And it still would have like kept things a little bit more, I guess, I guess sensible because like, obviously the cops aren't just going to shoot a bunch of people like that, especially yeah. uh, people who have, you know, camera phones and all this stuff. So <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like that there was maybe like a, a second draft of this that probably would have worked a little bit better. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, bad publicity, uh, agent Deaver gets chewed out and um, I think basically like f- relieved of duty, if not fired over the phone. 
Uh, and that's sort of the last we see of her in this episode. And I, I have no idea if like if there's a season two, if we're going to see this character come back for revenge or like you mentioned, maybe be revealed to have been you know working for some sort of scroll power or you know higher entity or something. I have no idea. Um, th- there's this TikTok montage of reactions from everyone who you know showed up and and were part of that sort of civilian group outside of the high school. Um, and then Kamala and her dad have this moment on the roof where. He tells her the origin of her name and gives her her real superhero name, Ms. Marvel. Um, what did you think about this uh, interaction between Kamala and her dad here? This was great because actually up up to this point when she got her new suit and everything, I was wondering, I was like, so where does like the Ms. Marvel name come into play? Because we've talked about before how like there are a lot of superheroes uh, in the Marvel Universe who have a superhero name, but they're not necessarily called uh, that name and m- maybe not a lot, but there are there are at least a few like like Carol Danvers specifically isn't really like addressed as Captain Marvel, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was curious where that was going to come from, and I thought that this was a a really cool uh, explanation that really gives significance to her superhero name. Yes. Uh, so one week later, there is uh, sort of like an epilogue with some jokes about Cameron's car and the the trio of Kamala, Bruno, and uh, Nakia saying goodbye as Bruno goes off to Caltech. And the big thing from the scene is Bruno says that he went back and looked at Kamala's genetic makeup again. And he says, Kamala, there's something different in your genes, like a mutation. And then there's a quick hit of the 90s X-Men animated series theme song. As soon as he says that, I I had to watch this episode twice because, you know, I, I... watched it once just sort of as a fan and then uh watched it a second time like taking notes for this episode and i i missed the uh the um, soundtrack little blip uh, the first time i was watching it and i was like oh man that's really cool I, I love that uh you know after dr strange and the multiverse of madness used that then this is uh, the show is also using that which makes me think that kevin feige and the people at marvel studios realize how rad that theme song is and hopefully it will continue to be used in future x-men related things as you know as we move forward so uh but kamala's reaction to this idea of, of a mutation is just to basically brush it off she's like whatever it is it's just going to be another label so uh i assume you have a lot to say about this brad what, what did you think about this this bomb that they drop here at the end of the episode yeah certainly was not expecting this and it's uh it's very cool i i am extremely excited about anything regarding hints as to how they're going to bring x-men into the fray into the mcu with all this multiverse stuff happening and seeing uh, the 90s X-Men version of Professor X in Multiverse of Madness, I I would love to see if there was some way that they could figure out to bring the 90s iteration of X-Men that we never really got to see on the big screen except for that um, X-Men Dark Phoenix ending that turned into nothing. Uh, or was it Apocalypse? <laughs> Apocalypse, I think. And then, they, oh, yeah, and then, they, and then yeah. they didn't do anything with it in Dark Phoenix. Um, I want that to become something. It would be very cool to have that iteration of the team uh, in all their vibrant, colorful glory uh, brought into the MCU somehow. So whether, whether it's time travel or, uh, you know, a, a parallel universe from the multiverse, something like that. Like, I, I really want to see something like that happen here. Because, uh, yeah, hearing that theme both of those times was awesome. Yeah. So there's a, a post credit scene where Kamala is in her room and her bangle starts glowing and she is sort of whisked backward through her closet door, like bursting through the door while also disappearing in a way. It was like a, the, the visual effect there was kind of an, um, an odd choice that I, it seemed vaguely familiar, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And maybe, you know, um, Brad, if, if it's like a reference to the way that um, certain characters in the MCU have moved or teleported or transported or whatever you want to call it before. Um, it almost re- reminded me a little bit of like uh, 
night the way that nightcrawler teleports in in the uh fox x-men movies but without the the sort of like puff of smoke that accompanies that um yeah i'm not really sure either uh what what this is about um and i wonder if like this is supposed to be part you know of the the actual plot that happens uh in in the marvels um because yeah or maybe it's something that happens uh in the in the middle of the movie or something i really yeah i i'm not, i'm not sure i'm very curious as to how this is all gonna gonna play out yeah i didn't i didn't really clock the um the visual effect much the first time i watched it but watching it on the second time i was like man that is a very specific choice that they made for how she uh, sort of comes like leaves this realm or whatever um so i just wonder if there's something about the specificity of that 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 maybe um you know pointing to uh, a way that other characters have have sort of moved within the MCU before. But anyway, uh, she seems to have traded places with Carol Danvers. And you and uh, Peter speculated earlier in the the podcast about like whether or not Brie Larson was going to come, uh, you know, show up in, in the show. And I think you said, you know, she might show up in a post-credit scene and here she is. So, uh, I mean, do you have any thoughts about what this could mean and, and what's, um, yeah, what, what the future might look like? I have no idea because we we don't know anything about uh, the Marvels yet as far as what the story is or anything like that. And so it would be relatively interesting if there was like a a body swap element to it, even though it's not really a body swap, but like just like Captain Marvel being brought to Earth and then Ms. Marvel being taken to, to space, potentially, seemingly, mm-hmm. depending mm-hmm. on where she is. At the very least, maybe another planet. Um, so I think that's an intriguing uh concept you know uh, ms marvel figuring out what to do when she's uh completely out of her element literally and figuratively and then captain marvel figuring out what she's going to do on earth I-, I imagine captain marvel may have an easier time since she can uh fly and has dealt with <laughs> cosmic travel and stuff before um but obviously she's very confused so what I- i'm that's what you know where my curiosity uh, and confusion comes from as well, because how and why did this happen and what is going on? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, body swap because um, that was kind of what I thought was happening on first glance. I was like, oh, did she like, is this... um is this Kamala in Carol Danvers body? Uh, and I think but, if it was, they would have done like a thing where they like, they show her looking into the mirror and you saw Kamala's right. reflection to like more like clearly explain that. But I don't think it was an actual body swap. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it became clear very quickly that it wasn't. I was just like, Oh, is that what they're doing? No. Okay. They're doing something else. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was, that was interesting the way that, that it happened. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I feel I'm sort of of two minds about this. I kind of, and I think you and Peter may have touched about uh, on this as well in a previous episode, but I kind of feel like um, we didn't quite need this. Like the show was good enough without that as a, as a thing, like almost like the, the mutant thing at the end was enough to sort of, you know, have the internet talking and get us, you know, uh, excited to speculate about stuff or whatever. And then this sort of felt like it will, um, maybe muddy the waters a little bit for whatever the Marvels ends up being because uh, you know, like I think if you would have ended without this, then however you introduce uh, or reintroduce uh, the Ms. Marvel character in the Marvels, people didn't have to watch the show. It's just, you're, you're introduced to a teen girl who has powers and you can kind of catch up and, and that's fine. Like that's all you really need to know. Right. And now it's like, where the hell is she and and when is she and what is going on and like yeah it just feels like there's a lot more um 
expositional ground that needs to be covered for a lot of people because you know brad like there are so many shows now and there's no way that everybody we we watch all of it because we're talking about it on a podcast but like i know a lot of people are tapping out on all of these things yeah or or at least tapping out selectively so i, I think that the marvel cinematic universe has now officially reached a place where it can no longer like reasonably expect most of its viewers to have seen everything yeah and so that presents a problem when when you are introducing a bunch of fresh faced characters in these Marvel shows and then incorporating them into the movies, it's something that we've been talking about for, or sort of like uh, wondering about for years anyways, which is like, how exactly is this going to work? And this feels like an example of like, I mean, I don't know, we haven't seen the Marvels yet. So maybe they have a, a perfect way of integrating all of this and, and I'll eat my, eat my shoe later on, you know, to, <laughs> to uh, reference our friend Matt patches. But um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I worry a little bit about this. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, I think that um, sometimes the credit scenes that Marvel does as tradition now uh, become more of a, a sideshow than, than anything. Like, sometimes they do lead us into a legitimate uh, storyline or tease something that will be significant in upcoming movies. But there have been plenty of times when it's just been more of, like, a fun thing as a way of, like, teasing something without necessarily having the credit scenes really have any significant impact on on what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in some cases, they've been flat out, like, not uh, like not making sense. Like, the, the I forget which movie it was, but that post-credit scene where Thanos, you know, went into, like, his closet or whatever and, like, picked up the Infinity Gauntlet and said, fine, I'll do it myself. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, that's not how that happened uh, <laughs> in, in Avengers Infinity War. So, um, and so, like, in this case, you know, I, I, I that's one of the reasons I'm so curious to see what this means for the Marvels and how they'll they'll do that but like i also wonder if like some of these scenes too are nothing more than like especially for the tv shows uh, a marketing ploy um to get people to to pay attention to some of these shows so that they some people who may not have been quite so interested in watching will be like oh i should probably watch this now because i i heard captain marvel shows up in the credit scene and i would like to know what's going on with this character before she shows up uh in miss marvel so yeah you know if anything like uh having you know, her, the character actually show up and then have the stinger of, you know, Ms. Marvel will return the Marvels. Then everyone would be like, oh, cool. That's time time to start paying attention to this, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it's it's uh, it's not like an ideal way to, to do it, I guess. Yeah. But like, who am I to to everything seems to be working so far. I mean, like they've only had a few real stumbles in, you know, whatever it's been. Uh, 15 plus years or whatever of of uh, Marvel Studios storytelling. So like you know, everything is working so far, but like, I really am just wondering how, how far they can sort of stretch this balloon before it fully pops. So, uh, I guess we'll find out, but, um, yeah, I guess, do you have any final thoughts or anything on, on Ms. Marvel? I think we, we covered most of the stuff that I had written down here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very good show. It really is. Uh, I really like this a lot. I think, uh, like you said earlier, it's definitely towards, uh, the top tier. Uh, you know, for me, I think, uh, WandaVision and Loki are probably my my favorite so far. Uh, and then Moon Knight and Ms. Marvel, I think, are coming up just behind it. And yeah, for me, like I'm I'm a sucker for coming of age stories. Uh, I love John Hughes movies. And of course, I love what's been going on with the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, for the most part, with the exception of some mis- missteps in phase four here. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a really good series. And, you know, I... I like them expanding this roster of what, you know, seems to be leading to an assembly of the Young Avengers. Um, but I I think overall now I'm just I'm waiting to hear 
and find out what this overarching storyline is for phase four. So I can start like, you know, piecing things together or like understanding exactly what, what the, the, the end game is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, no, I don't know reference intended but but i but i want to know what we're going towards and like get some rough idea of like how we're going to get there so next week is uh san diego comic-con and there's a big marvel presentation planned for i think next saturday and uh do you think that kevin feige is going to take that opportunity to announce a second season of ms marvel do you think this is a, a one and done show or do you think um and and like do you think that character is now going to just be fully integrated into the movies or do you think that we're going to see another season of this show um sort of like we have with uh, with loki coming up with season two i hope both um i i would you did say like whether it's big screen or tv show right yeah i think yeah. so i mean like do, do you think that uh do you think that she's only going to be a, a movie character now or do no, you think that, no okay. no i think that yeah i think she'll have a part key part to play in uh, the Marvels, but then I feel like having her come back to TV because, like, I think she's a character that you want to keep grounded. Um, you want her to have the, maybe these smaller scale adventures, and then occasionally uh, get caught up in you know in the bigger picture stuff. Uh, kind of like a yes, like a maybe a lower scale version of Spider Man. You know, Spider Man had his own shit that he was dealing with uh, in New York, and even though like he traveled to Washington D.C. and Europe and stuff like that, he was still dealing with you know, his own shit and then got called up to, you know, the Avengers problems. So mm-hmm. I think that you can do that here with her. And so she can continue to have her, you know, stories on television on Disney plus, and then occasionally get caught up in the big screen stuff too. Cool. All right. Yeah. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of the show. You can find more about Ms. Marvel a ton at slashfilm.com. I'm, uh, and, and actually I'm going to link to a few articles that we published today inside the show notes of this episode, but I encourage you guys always to go to slash film and just see uh, all the stuff that we've got cooking over there. Slash film daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhome.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.